I'm Alexis Christophorus, and thanks so much for listening to this Yahoo Finance podcast. Joining me is Yahoo Finance's J.P. Mangalinden to talk about all the changes going on at Uber. So, J.P., you have been very busy breaking news about Uber, and the latest is that no less than 14 executives will run the day-to-day operations at this embattled ride-sharing startup now that CEO Travis Kalanick is officially taking a leave of absence. First off, J.P., who are these 14 people, and aren't there too many cooks in the kitchen? That's a great point you raised, Alexis. Um, so the committee, again, as you mentioned, is 14 people, and they're all direct reports to Travis Kalanick. In other words, they all reported to Travis previously before he took a leave of absence, and they run the gamut. You know, we're talking about the top C-suite here of, of Uber, ranging from uh, David Richter, who is a newly installed senior vice president of business, Daniel Graff, Vice President of Product Management, um, even to uh, Jill Hasselbaker, who ran the policy communications and previously came from Snapchat. So it's really the head of every single department across Uber. Mm -hmm. Outline for us some of the challenges facing this slate of executives. I mean, we're talking about a company that has 12,000 employees. There is decision-making to be had on many levels every day. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, first and foremost, you know, Uber is a company that has been disrupting the transportation business for years, right? So on top on top of all the policy wrangling they'll be having to do externally, they'll be having to fight a battle internally, not just amongst themselves, you know, um, running different departments, but also in trying to improve their work culture, you know, one that has been heavily criticized over the last two months, you know, due to uh, complaints and over sexual um, allegations. So it's really about you know, again, it's about improving the, improving the work culture and then uh, and then moving the company forward. I think that'll be really difficult because again, 14 people, and it's, I've heard from sources that Travis Kalanick was wielded a very sort of heavy hand. Every every major decision went through him. He gave the yes or no. You know, now that Travis is no longer in place, I mean, who is going to be saying the yes or no, giving that ultimate green light? It's really sort of hard to say at this point. And, and each one of those people could have their own agenda. There could be alliance, you know, allegiances within the uh, the company to different people. So do you know how long this sort of governing structure will be happening at Uber? I don't, but to be fair, I don't think anyone else does either, including Uber itself. It's my understanding that this committee will be in place indefinitely until Travis Kalanick potentially comes back as CEO. That being said, we don't even know if he's coming back as CEO. You know, given all the heat he has received um, over the last few months and years over his sort of cavalier uh, management of the company. You know, uh, there's so many examples to point to. Um, over the last few months, or even as over the last few weeks, leaked emails of the way he has advised his employees and their sexual behavior at a Miami party about three or four years ago. You know, very sort of unorthodox um, behavior. Yeah, unorthodox is a good word to describe it. I know that Uber um, had an all-hands meeting recently, and you were able to obtain exclusive audio from that meeting. And I want to take a listen now to board member... Ariana Huffington announcing that Kalanick is taking a leave of absence. Take a listen. Let us address the elephant in the room. Where is Travis? So you've all received an email from him. I don't know if you've read it yet, but I want to give you a little background. On Sunday during our board meeting in Los Angeles,
Travis told the board that he would like to take some time off, that the confluence of recent events, the death of his mother, whom he buried on Friday, all that the company has been going through in the last few months, meant for him that he wanted to step back from the day-to-day -day management of the company. So, JP, do you think anyone in that room was surprised by that announcement? No, not at all. Um, and I chuckled because I think it was a long time coming. I'm just surprised it took this long for Kalanick to basically step aside. Um, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, Travis is very, and I, I've met Travis um, in the past. He is a very, very hands-on and controlling. He's also a majority stakeholder in the company. So, uh, you know, I'm sure when he ultimately decided to take a leave of absence, it was with a heavy heart. And I also think that he felt like he had no choice. I think he was very much forced to do it. You know, in the email he told, he sent to employees on Tuesday, he said it was under the guise of, you know, his mother recently passed away, died in a boating accident, which is very, very unfortunate. Um, that being said, you know, I also think the primary driver behind taking the leave of absence, you know, was all, all the controversy, all, all the scandals. He didn't mention, you know, how long this leave of absence will be. You know, you, you cover this company, you cover Silicon Valley. If you were to take an educated guess, I'm curious what your thoughts are. And also, do you see Kalanick returning as CEO or really returning at all, for that matter? It's a great question. I think, I, I mean, you know, I, I see a leave of absence being at least two months. I, you know, I, I mean, we can basically consider this the CEO equivalent of being grounded um, and, and in being sort of being pushed out. You know, if he does come back, I don't envision him coming back as chief executive. I envision him coming back perhaps uh, maybe more in an advisory role or a board director position. But to install him back as CEO feels like a stretch for me. Mm -hmm. You know, that being said, I think the big question is around, well, who would potentially take his place? You know, his his right hand for such a long time, and Neil Michael, senior vice president of business, um, was basically ousted, you know, over over his own behavior. So there's a big question then of who sort of rises to the top in uh, the absence of Travis and Neil. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea if you have any intelligence on this. Are you hearing anything uh, as to names being being bandied about um, who could, in fact, replace him? Uh, you know, if you had your pick. Who do you think would be a smart move? And, and also, are we thinking it's going to be somebody from outside the company at this point? So sort of coming outside of the culture that's already been built in, uh, into Uber? I mean, externally, I think that would, that would be a great move. And I say externally in the sense that it would, it would look terrific to bring someone from the outside, you know, maybe with years upon years of experience running either a later stage company or a publicly traded company, uh, it would it would be such a he would help I think assuage a lot of concerns um, externally, but also internally amongst uh, the board. That being said, you know, if they were to look internally or inwards, you know, my my personal uh, I would personally gravitate towards. David Richter, who is the newly installed senior vice president of business. Uh, prior to being SVP of business, David Rent was basically vice president of strategic initiatives. He was basically the driving force behind uh, two of the largest partnerships of the last two or three years, a partnership with American Express um, and a partnership with Starwood Resorts. Um, David is, or Richter, is very, very well respected internally. He's considered 
smart, strategic, upstanding. I know I I know David. Um, I've known David for years personally, and I can very much corroborate that being the case. He very much seems like an upstanding kind of guy, which frankly would be a nice antidote to Kalanick, <laughs> both from what has been reported and also what I personally know of Kalanick as well. Yeah, and it sounds like from what you described, he, he may have the gravitas, you know, to steer this company now at this time in its, in its history. Um, JP, we have more audio from that all-hands meeting that we want to share with our listeners. And it actually led to the resignation of board member David Bonderman after he made this inappropriate comment to fellow board member Ariana Huffington. Now, for background, Ariana is talking about how Uber just added its second woman to the board. Take a listen to this exchange. And there is a lot of data that shows that when there is one woman on the board, it's much more likely that there will be a second woman on the board. Actually, what it shows us is much likely to be more talking. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on, David. Whoa, can we say tone deaf maybe? Um, JP, what was the reaction of the board to that? Do you know? I know, I know. I, I don't know. Well, we know what ultimately happened. We know that we know that Bonderman ultimately resigned within just a few hours of the, uh, our, our story running and the audio leaking. Um, but I imagine their response might have been very similar to what the, the public response was. <laughs> like, again, tone deaf, really. I mean, this is a meeting that was supposed to drive the company forward and open a new chapter for the company and be more inclusive and be more diverse. You know, after months and months of, of allegations of, you know, um, sexual harassment. And then here we have um, a board director, a very, very senior level um, executive in, in the industry, basically, you know, basically making a, a sort of a, an off-color comment that sort of feeds more into the culture. And I think really sort of suggests that, you know, Uber's cultural problems are not just a Travis Kalanick problem. Mm -hmm. They they clearly extend further than that. Yeah, no, that definitely, that, that uh, audio definitely highlights that. And you could even hear in Ariana's laughter, that was sort of a nervous laugh. I mean, she almost couldn't believe it herself. Um, now, Uber's management has agreed to a list of recommendations from the law firm Covington and Burling on how the company can fix its culture after those complaints of sexual harassment and bullying. Share with us what some of those recommendations are. Sure. It, it's surprising how, I mean, it's probably not surprising that they are pushing for um, increased diversity, um, particularly amongst gender, but it's surprising how much of uh, the report is, is really around um, diversity and stuff. They're calling for increased diversity on efforts across the board, whether it's, you know, uh, by gender or other or, or other minorities. They're calling for the creation, um, uh, basically the elevation of a uh, diversity officer. Um, they hired one about a few months ago, and so I, I imagine that, uh, that diversity officer will wield even more power um, moving forward. Now, when does all of this finally start to erode Uber's customer base? Because we really haven't seen that yet. I mean, I know Lyft is saying that, you know, it's seeing more people downloading its app, but it's still still a distant second to Uber. Right. It, it's shocking to me, Alexis. You know, I, you know, I, I personally, after the, I've, I've been a longtime Uber user, I used Uber um, before it was uh, before it went international. But even I was forced to, I, even I felt compelled to switch over to Lyft hmm. um, after the last few months, um, and no regrets. But that being said, there are a lot of people I've spoken to anecdotally um, who who haven't felt swayed 
by all these by all these scandals to switch over. For them, it's just a matter of convenience. They really feel that Uber offers the best user experience. It's easy to navigate their app. It gets their cars on time. Um, and that's really, again, you know, that sort of really feeds into, you know, a, a story I think our colleague Ethan Wolfman recently reported with data backing, backing up that sort of statement. Um, it, it's kind of surprising that I think a lot of people um, are not sort of, I don't want to say ethically driven, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, maybe aren't feeling more conscientious about the products they're using, primarily Uber. Are you an Uber user? You know, I'm not. I'm actually a Via user, and it, it's funny. Um, you know, I have I have three kids, but two of them are of age to ride these ride-sharing services together, and sometimes we do that. And I thought long and hard. I mean, I have the Uber app on my phone, and I thought about having them use Uber. And really, on moral and ethical grounds, I did say, "No, guys, you're going to go take a Via." And I spoke to another mom recently who felt the same way. So we'll see if that starts to to grow. I mean, unless they can, you know, they're nipping it in the bud now, which many would say is a little too late. But if they can start to turn things around, um, maybe the, it won't erode uh, the, the customer base. But, you know, what about shareholders, you know, who poured a lot of money into this, the investors who poured a lot of VC money into this company, seeing this happen, an exit strategy should be an IPO. I mean, what does this mean for a possible Uber IPO? When might it happen, if ever now? Sure. I mean, I've been hearing for the last one or two years that Uber has been targeting a 2018 or 2019 IPO, you know, that being said, you know, with no CEO at the helm, um, no so-called adults running the company, mm-hmm. I think I think those IPO plans are very much on hold indefinitely. Um, I'm sure it's putting a, a, a rubbing its shareholders the wrong way, but, you know, they, I mean, it's, it's it, I think it, it came to a point where I think, you know, again, Talonic really had sort of no choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder how talent within Silicon Valley would feel about going to work for Uber right now. I mean, in one way, I guess you could say, well, they're, they're choosing me and I can really be the turnaround person and the hero here, or do I want to be bothered? This is a tainted and tarnished company now. I think it's very, I think it's, I think it's pretty challenging to food Uber at Uber right now. I, you know, a few of my sources um, are familiar with Uber's recruiting efforts at the moment. And it's it's a real, real challenge to try to sell uh, potential employees, let alone female employees, on the idea of working at Uber, even with competitive compensation and potential equity. I mean, who, you know, what kind of, you know, would a woman or even any sort of minority, you know, why would they be compelled to work for a company that, you know, has been been making headlines consistently over the last six months, Mm -hmm. you know, for mistreating its employees, for its drivers potentially, you know, sexually assaulting assaulting passengers. I mean, you say tarnished, and I really, really do feel like the brand has been tarnished. I don't know about irrevocably, but tarnished for now. Yeah, listen, JP, you've been doing such a great job for us here at Yahoo Finance, breaking all this news surrounding this company. Um, Thanks for joining us today on this podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Our thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from.